Talking with Kippies. My name is Tom Whittacombe and this episode is part two of my ongoing chat with Axel Winterson. Thank you for listening. Uh, good to speak with you again, Axel. I've really enjoyed our last conversation and uh, just carry on from where we left off, really. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, when I came up Teepee Valley two or three weeks ago and we were chatting and uh, I learned a lot there. One of the things that really I found interesting was the, the, the rules of the community and uh, very few. In fact, two, was it? Um, be hard to quantify them. Not all of them are opaque and well-defined. Yeah, the, 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 there are a couple, there are a few hard and fast rules and then but they exist like as a as a rare pillars in what's otherwise basically just a kind of cultural matrix um, that's developed over time uh, and is a bit more loose than a rule really overall um, it's I would call it like a kind of micro culture that's developed over half a century and was uh, inspired originally by s- certain like basic ethical uh, inspirations like Chief Seattle's speech, for example, um, t- talking about con- con- considering the, the rivers and all the animals and plants and each other as, as our kin, one family. And then from there, kind of ingrained with the needs and the context of what the people of Teepee Valley faced over those years, this natural cultural matrix has developed where there are certain, there's certain general attitude and behaviours that are accepted and seen as traditionally right um, and certain things that aren't, but they're really, they're really hard and fast, yeah. So it's a more human law than, it, and it's more loose, it's an organic law there. It's not corporatized, so there are less statute laws. There are a few when needed, hard and fast lines, but very few. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with it. And looking back on that, my time there, my, my 24 hours there, I really, I felt at home and I became really aware of how involved in what, what we call the machine or the man I am and and I'm I'm I try quite hard not to get caught up in it but it, when you go back into that way of life you realize that everything is dominated by this huge structure called society I'm I think about it an awful lot uh, all man has always tried to find a better way to live and there's always this feeling, which I have, I've had all my life, surely we can do better than this uh, as, a, as a species. Uh, it's, it's, in a way, what we do on this planet is, is I've, it's disgusting, really, to me. And I, I, you can see through history, certainly through the, ninth, the, the 20th century history, and carry on now, there are, there are a lot of people that just think, no, this has got to change, we've got to make it better. Where do you think, do you think the kind of consciousness that exists at Teepee Valley has got any relevance at all to that or 
do you think there's something else that's got to change? Yeah, I, I would consider something like Teepee Valley as um, a, like a bold experiment in the context we're in. But the context we're in has to be understood. Most of humanity is lived rurally and more locally and less technologically reliant than our, our current civilization is. For the vast majority of our history, um, I think that's fairly undeniable, no matter what your take on history is, that um, because it's evident across the world, even today in the traces left of, of older cultures, to traditional cultures world over, were engaged in um, a local landscape-reliant uh, uh, regional culture with undulation as varied as landscape itself. The geology of our country cuts the landscape across several fold, dozens fold, into different sub-regions made up of the rock. Well, I think humans are, are pro products of their soils and of the, the biosphere around them when they're living in direct relation to it, a symbiotic local exchange with their landscape. As a result, their culture, historically our cultures, have undulated as, as massively as the geology. So this is evident in tr traditional cultural dress across Europe now more or less completely uh, euthanized, but if you look at historical photographs of, of certain ports and bays in the Americas, for example, at, at, at migration time in, in the last couple hundred years, at the end of the 19th and early 20th century, you see all these people from Europe coming from slightly different regions of different countries in Scandinavia, Turkey, Eastern Europe, all through Western Europe, They've all got their own unique cultural dress, no doubt also their own unique songs and dances, their own food, their own slightly different modus operandi way of existing, way of how do they work their land, what guttural syllables do they use to communicate. Um, I love the diversity of traditional cultures and that's all been wiped out very recently that's my point, is um, we've been wiped very recently and we're in a state of utter amnesia as to our heritage. And each of us have uh, this heritage of uh, living in intimate relationship with our local landscape and with our local plant, animal, human community. And that's all just been stripped away very recently. So at TP Valley you've got... The way I see it, I suppose, is, and, and not just Tipi Valley really, but so many other attempts at creating a more local relationship with each other in the land. You've got people hearkening back to something that feels natural, because it, it is. It's what animals do as well, and it's what humans have been doing for the vast majority of our history. But um, we've got on board with this thing called civilization recently. Well, apparently it's not the first time. Um, there were the Greeks, the Romans, the Aztecs, the Olmecs, and uh, in, in Esoterica, what, Lemurians and the Atlantics, Atlanteans, yeah. So 
There may have been other civilizations, but they all seem like fairly recent experiments. Uh, it's a different arrangement to like a, a local traditional culture that's rurally based and is uh, mo most people worked the land and uh, specialization was kept to a minimum or, or, or a, a reasonable standard that allowed people to, to focus on their crafts but not to the extent that civilization goes. Well, so Tipi Valley's saying, hey, let's step away from the mode of civilization and back to, to, to our heritage. But a big question on my mind, well, one is that all of our communities and eco-villages that are stepping in that direction are still reliant on the products of civilization, the things that were made in, in factories or by machines, usually. Um, and the cultures that were living as a completely local, sort of self-enclosed, fully symbiotic organism as part of their local landscape have more or less been petered out. So we're all reliant on civilization more or less now. So my question is, um, is it possible for civilization to be good? There's no question that traditional cultures were beautiful. They lived in a beautiful relationship with the earth. They didn't degrade it. And people were noble and, and generally a lot healthier and happier, I think. And uh, that's the question to, for me is, has civilization been a mistake from the get-go? You know, the Olmecs, the Aztecs, all of them. Were they all walking away? from nature, fundamentally opposing their nature and doing a disservice to the gift of life? Or can civilization be something that simply elaborates on the story of the universe and offers something interesting and worthwhile? That question is important to me because it, if it's so that civilization can be good, then we don't have to completely go primitive as such and uh, live just like the traditional villagers world over. There might be another way, um, a kind of a way through rather than a way back. Well, that interests me a lot, but I certainly wouldn't want it to, um, as this, this civilization has, completely euthanize lo local regional diversity and culture and region, local regional exchange. You know, I love regional music, regional dress, regional food. If all that's stamped out, then we are definitely doing a disservice to life um, and the gift of life that we've been given. And we're not living in touch with our local landscape. I think we must do that. It's the only sane way. You know, we can't live off coconuts and bananas from the other side of the world and everything as such. But could there be a kind of marriage between a, a, a sane and beautiful and diverse traditional human habitation of the landscape and something approaching a kind of more complex uh, interacting civilization that's developing like larger interregional interactions? I really like the sound of where you're going with that, Axel, and I think I think. Uh realistically you you have we have to do what you're saying to to put this right because one way is i see as destruction 
The other way I see is a bit impractical and slightly going against human nature because human nature always looks for improvement and that inevitably leads to development and specialisation and uh, progress. You know, sometimes I just think, oh, I hate progress, but actually you can't stop it because it's what we do. We all do it ourselves, like I do it in my garden. If I think I can find a better way of stopping the slugs, I'll do it. It's just the way we are. Well, T T Terence McKenna had this um, idea that um, n nature is a, uh, a complexity conserving and creating engine and that history is a kind of exponentially accelerating movement towards something transcendental. Well, pretty wacky, but um, what I found interesting about that is that it suggests that instead of seeing our existence and our history as a kind of continue uh, as a uh, a static thing that's just doing its dance forever without ever changing, that in some way it's our destiny to be ever deepening the complexity of of existence. In that frame of view, then the development of civilization wouldn't be a mistake because we were, in that view, the Earth wants us to evolve beyond the past. It wants us to develop greater and greater levels of, of culture that increases complexity. Well, if you look at uh, like the, our, our view of evolution, even if it's convoluted, the notion that we started off here as a ball of rock with some very basic life forms on it. And over time, the biological sphere just continued to grow and evolve fractally, um, like a fra fractal mandala that you might see if you take high dose of psychedelics. That it's ever evolving from, from a single entity multiplying to two, and then like a Fibonacci spiral, growing on itself exponentially outwards well life seems to have done the same since since the dawn of the earth and it's certainly continuing to and it's certainly accelerating massively to the point where we're all going now we, we seem to be losing control here well for a long time in my life i've kind of been of the view that you know that we've stepped too far and we need to go back to something. But that view, for me, is, is it's developing nuance, let's say, uh, in that m maybe, maybe that's not really the case. Maybe spaceships and computers aren't actually a complete mistake. And this is coming from someone who spent the last few years of his life renouncing all of that, living around an open fire and wanting to, you know, go traditional. Well, I don't for a second think any of that was, was a mistake. Um, I've learned a lot from it, but I don't know if that's really the future of humanity. As I look at it and I look at all the young generations growing up, they're far away from that kind of primeval existence. Whether we like it or not, we're in a technological age and we're a technological race at this time and I don't know if that's ever going to fully change. When you look at some 
kind of um, uh, literature, sci-fi literature, uh, video games that explore possible futures. There's this obsession with a kind of post-industrial world, the, the possibility that some kind of collapse two steps back might lead to one step forward, but definitely not continuing to step back to some age hence forgotten. Um, but I think it would be a shame if human beings never use thatch again, or never learned to um, make fires with friction again. So w what is it that we're walking towards? What is it that we're walking away from? These well, one are the most thing, interesting One thing we know for sure, actually, is we can't go on using the amount of energy we're using because uh, that is there's not enough. Yeah, we're in debt. We have to go low impact. So even if we hang on to our phones... And I, I would argue possibly about the spaceships. I suppose you're saying to put satellites up there or something. I mean, I'm not sure we need to go to the moon. <laughs> but uh, we've got to go low impact. We have to. There's no way around that. We cannot go on the way of going. So regardless of whether we create a nice society where we can all live or not, if we don't go low impact, we're going to have a wipeout, aren't we? I, that's how I kind of feel. It's inevitable, really. And if we, if we don't learn to engage again with the natural world for our basic, for our basic survival, then I don't think we'll ever be as happy as we could be. Because uh, there's an in inherent joy ingrained in our biology that uh, is released when, whenever we engage with the natural world in a way that we always have, like sit sitting on sitting on the earth and sitting round a fire with other people. I don't think we'll ever evolve away from, from nature. Uh, that's not my vision at all. I mean, I'm, I've got this massive problem with cities. I just feel like they are so ridiculously artificial and so far away from what we should be doing. And there's huge conglomerations of people that are doing stuff that absolutely doesn't need doing and using up masses of energy that really could be completely, we could do without 90% of it. And they're producing nothing useful. You know, no food comes out of a city, no clothing. Everything comes from the countryside. And I know I'm a bit of a Luddite and a bit of a digger, and I've been that all my life. Somehow or other, I was born that, or my dad said something, and I picked up on it and went ran with it. I don't know what happened, but I, I, I feel passionately about them. Whenever I go to London, I'm just like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and and um, it's been like that all my life. We so I can see it's a simple, a simple change that we would need to make, but it's a fantastically complicated operation to get there. Uh, yes, yeah. And I, I think that um, in general, um, in our attempts to come together as, as people interested in change, we often only get as far as complaining, in my view, um, or some extension of complaining that's hoping for a, 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 a solution, but the solution is vague and damage reduction at best. So, uh, and that's not inspiring. So I, I want to explore um, what 
would actually inspire us more. Well, what what would inspire us is a, a vision of what what the world could be like, and attempts to envision that more viscerally and more visually uh, and more emotively. So, w what pains my heart more than most things is whenever I uh, sitting in a train or, or going for a walk out in the countryside. I look out the window, most of the land in our country is just empty. It's empty of life, full stop, apart from short grass. Short grass. We're letting short grass win at the moment. Yeah, it's got more space than us. Meanwhile, as you say, we're cramming ourselves into this tiny... Now, that's not, that's not an example of good civilization to me. That's, that's really upside down. And so what fascinates me is a vision of a, of a repopulated countryside and not just humans, but a diversity of plants and animals as well and more local regional culture, but potentially you know, more advanced trade systems, civilization, but civilization that's simultaneously local and strongly traditional and organically formed and democratic and that's based on an ethic that everything on earth is part of the same family because we're all on the same boat you know and we're either going to learn to live cooperatively or we'll continue down this competitive route that shortcuts our nature and is making people grow unhealthy and unhappy and that, that will lead to more and more destruction but my interest is in uh, can we come together on dreaming and attempting to create examples of what our existence could be like from where we are. And we're not starting from Earth pristine now. We're starting from industrial, industrially raped and savaged planet, mostly down to grass and sprayed with chemicals. So we're in a different context now. I, I think that um, what the world could be like, a more beautiful world, won't be like it ever has been exactly, but I would use uh, a regional village traditional society as a model for that, with um, a regionally focused market towns, but certainly no bigger, probably smaller than somewhere like the town we're in now, Totnes, which has about 8,000 inhabitants. That's still very, very big, really. That's a lot of people to feed off a local landscape. So I think that market towns were never really for residential purposes. I think they were trade centres, cultural centres and social hubs. And they had a village centre, town centre. But they, did, they weren't surrounded by vast residential blocks. Or they wouldn't be anyway, in my vision of a more beautiful world. But people would come, they'd mostly live in, in villages and small hamlets, but they'd travel to the market towns regularly to trade and to exchange and to come together. So we, we're strong, the more diverse we are, we're stronger, but we have to be well connected. And uh, we have a kind of awkward kind of motherboard in our current society that looks very well connected, but actually all the connections are absurd. And, and very ill-efficient. We, we seem to think we're very efficient in, in this world, but we're not at all. 
you know, we're the opposite of efficient. Everything's upside down. And as a result, we're starving for a vision of what the opposite looks like because we're so far from it. And so I think we do need to look back to traditional cultures as a template. And beautiful, you know, the, the, when you look at these old photographs, people in their traditional dress, just their, the way they hold their, their bodies and look at the camera, there's an inherent nobility. Well, it's the same when you see a wild animal, you know, it doesn't look differently. De de heavily domesticated animals that have been also stripped of their natural dignity look differently. When you look at a, a more primitive animal that exists in its right place in the forest, inherently dignified, well, we, we can be as well, but we've completely lost sight of what a dignified existence looks like. And I think we're starving for, for good examples of that. So I, I really tip my hat at all the, the very small minority of people in our country and all across the world who are actually committing themselves to trying to create a decent example, an experiment in what a more beautiful way looks like. But they are isolated enclaves in a sea of, of an industrial modernity, Place, places in our country uh, like Tinker's Bubble and Lamas eco-village and Findhorn eco-village and many other s s s smaller ones. They're, they're very rarely more than a few dozen people and they're, they're, they are isolated and they're very inspiring and people visit them and leave inspired but they're, they're hardly part of a, of a regional network and they're hardly well supported and I, I really wish there was um, more forward-thinking legislation on a national level that allowed people to set up that kind of community more easily. But each of those places have had to go through an extraordinary struggle to try and create their experiment. And props to them, all of them. They've done an extraordinary job of making it through. But there's thousands, tens of thousands, maybe more, hundreds of thousands perhaps, maybe more, of people in our country who want to live like that. They really do. They, they want to find land, they want to build their own home, they want to milk goats. But they, they, they really don't see a way to go about it because it's not very easy to. You know, you have to either be an all-out rebel, ready to risk everything, and live in some kind of fringe shoulder of woodland for a while, um, or you've got to go through a mountain of paperwork and five years of legal battles um, with potentially still failure at the end of it. But for some people, this is so intolerable that, and it's so inspiring, the idea of creating better examples of civilization done right, maybe, that it's still worth it. But why is it so difficult? Even schemes like the One Planet Development in Wales are a series of hurdles that make extremely discouraging and controlling. You have to be a kind of corporate entity, really, right down. And that's kind of not what it's about for us. You know, we want to go free. We want to experiment with living in a way that disregards modern society and takes a totally new form. And the system does not allow us to do that at the moment. But I think that, I think that in general, our view of what to do about it is still short-sighted. And I think if we had 
uh, a more thorough and inspiring sense of what we could be creating on a regional, national level, we might be able to come together against some, with, with a force that's stronger, allows us to uh, develop greater momentum as, as a peoples who are, are ready to walk away from the world as it is into, into a world that might be um, better for our children and for the earth as itself. But to me, that necessarily means a vision of the countryside repopulated with people who love their local landscape, rely on it, and live in, in intimate, um, human-scale communities where the majority of resources are gained from a symbiotic relationship with the local biosphere rather than with a, a vast, global and completely corrupt economy. Cool. Actually, that's amazing. I've loved it. And I think that I think what we need to talk about is providing that practical example, which I know is happening in very small ways, but that's got to be the way to get people to go, yeah, OK, because actually, in a way, you can see it in these various communities that you've talked about. But I just somehow feel like... I don't know whether the whole thing needs to be politicised or what needs to happen, but it needs to be made clear that the people need the land back. Yeah, I, I, if, if it was me, me, I'd probably, I'd probably want to organise uh, a campaign to essentially ask to be given a, a region, a region, uh, say, a region of a national park, or a, a large region of forestry, uh, or something that can be have its own rules, if you like, be be passed legislation through to enable a whole region to be turned into an, a nature reserve that includes human beings in its ecology, so an ecological economy, a re, and a regionally self-sufficient. So it would be aiming within its borders to be a, a complete example of humans taking where we've walked together, but walking back to something that actually makes sense. Um, because it has to be a region, as in my view, if it's just another isolated community, it's just another isolated community, and that's not that's not interconnected enough. Uh, it's still short-circuited all around its borders. There has to be a relationship between multiple, several to a dozen or more different communities that are all interacting and have a place to meet in the middle. And then you've got um, a, a really, an example that can be scaled up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a, well, I hate using these terms really, but it's kind of a, almost an educational centre in a way of this is what like this is how we could organise things. That's what I'd love to that would work. To create and, yeah. and and here's the proof. Yeah. We're not just dreamers. I, We're I, not diggers and dreamers. I'd love to see diggers that, and yeah. here it is. An educational centre but it's um it's right in the middle of a whole landscape that's exemplifying it in a lived way. You know, actually not not just as a show. But, uh, but you know, do, done with in mind that we, we want to exemplify to, to the world. There's a, a region that uh, 
one example of a region I think would be suitable for that sort of thing is Breckford Forest, which is just, Teepee Valley is just on the border of, it's a vast region of forestry, all um, owned and managed by the National Resources Wales group, which is a, some kind of um, organisation connected to the Welsh Government. Well, um, that, that region uh, used to be known as Glyncotty, uh, which is related to the river, the Cotty. It was a huge forest, uh, mostly oak forest, full of, full of small rural communities. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a forest uh, region, full of people living off the land. And in the enclosures and the game laws that began in like the 12th and 13th centuries, the people were kicked out and then a lot of the forest was cut down for timbers and uh, the game was wiped out and it was, it's then been forestry ever since. And it was planted up big time in the war and even more was taken away. But uh, it's relatively unpopulated it's owned under one governmental organisation um, that might be open to that sort of thing, maybe. They've actually got a scheme across the whole Brekfa that in the next hundred years they want to convert uh, up to two-thirds, three-quarters of the landscape back to native forest. So they're thinking away from the direction of commercial forestry anyway. Well, imagine if a whole region like Brekfa Forest, equivalent size to Dartmoor, more or less, could be given to organize, an organised ecological organisation or, or network of organisations to, to, to inhabit it with the explicit intention of creating a, a large enough example of, of truly ecological local village culture that uh, makes sense in our modern context, that could show a, a good example to the, to the country and maybe the world as a whole of, of an, an adapted, a fully adapted hu human culture that's actually starting to take care of the earth again. But, but it's not um, going primitive as such. You know, it's, it's taking on board the complexity we've developed but reapplying it in a, in a way that's not fucked up, that's actually beautiful. Let's just hold that there because what we need to do is talk about how that community might look. This whole idea of not necessarily going primitive, somehow finding a way of living in a sustainable way that is practical and sensible, really. Yeah. That perhaps, I don't want to use the word normal people, but sensible in the sense that people can look at it and think that's actually doable. That actually applies mm. here. Yeah, they're not they're not gone back to flint tools. Yeah, yeah, you, you know. But I, I, not get I, me wrong. I think it, I think it has to be low tech. You know, I don't think there's I any totally, point doing power tools. No, I totally I, get got, you. I, as far as I'm concerned, it's got to be well, hand tools, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm to uh, uh, in the ne in the next episode, we will have this discussion. If you're up for it, yeah. hand tools, power tools, solar power, water power. I'm where, not for water power. What are, where is, I'm not sure about solar tech though. But it, now, now you're the true. Well, this is off the record, but here's the fascist speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
You can only but come you... in if you don't have any power tools. <laughs> <laughs> but how you build it is big is important because it how you build the thing is very important. Yeah. What you decide to use what you decide to say yes to, what you decide to say no to. I'll tell you what, Iris, if I can't bring my Makita drill, I am not coming. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, fine. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, thank you so much to you both. My father said to me When I was still a young boy These valleys, though they seem so wild Were once the home of villages now we speak alone Under the boughs of oak trees In our old summer meadows Where our children used to be born Our timber thatched barn Our evening council fires Where our stories were founded Now we speak alone With only Robin here with us Our voices in the wind Scattered across the south sea Father said to me